2: What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar.
0: I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe.
2: We are here a couple days after Earth Day, which was celebrated this week, and we had a couple stories here at Engadget about that, some green apps to celebrate Earth Day indoors, and ways to live stream the majesty of nature from your couch. But I, I thought what was really interesting would be to dive into something Microsoft announced last week. And that is their planetary computer, which is what? a really, yeah, it's a crazy name for something that sounds really interesting. So we're going to get more into that soon. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to the Engadget podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Drop us a review, especially on iTunes. That's super helpful. And if you have any questions, leave us an email at podcast at engadget.com. So Sherlyn, when I say planetary computer, what do you think? Man, like, what do you I, imagine in your eyes? I imagine in, brain?
0: in my brain, I see Tony Stark, I see holograms, <laughs> I see spinning, revolving things like orbiting around a central, like, computing node. Sounds about something right. Something like that. Yeah, really? Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> well, so I'm an inventor. It's a great
2: name, but it doesn't, I, I feel like Microsoft didn't do a great job of, of explaining yeah. what they actually meant by it. So last week, they announced this thing, basically a push towards new environmental initiatives. This was an idea that's kind of an evolution of something Microsoft started several years ago, their AI for Good initiative. Mm-hmm. And that was a plan to like bring AI tools to a lot of organizations and like you know people around the world who are trying to do things like environmental conservation. So I had a lot of questions about this. So I pinged Microsoft and we got to chat with Lucas Joppa their new chief environmental officer, hmm. that's a really interesting title. Like, he is a guy. He's the guy in charge of all their environmental work. As he explains it, it's basically this initiative for Microsoft to, first of all, start tracking information of everything happening on the planet. Mm-hmm. So, like, the the tides of, like, a random lake or something, uh, you know, in Africa. The mm-hmm. way a forest is growing in South America. Like, all this information... It's a way of collecting it and putting it on a unified platform. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, Windows Earth, you know, or something? (laughs) Windows Gaia, which sounds kind of crazy. He does a better job of explaining it than me. And uh, I think we had a really good conversation. So, take a listen. Could you introduce yourself and your role at Microsoft? My name is Lucas Joppa. I'm the chief environmental officer at
1: Microsoft, and I oversee sustainability across our global operations.
2: Thanks so much for taking time to chat with us, Lucas. I wanted to follow up with Microsoft about the announcement last week where you were talking about your new environmental initiatives and also this idea of a planetary computer. And it's a really cool name. It's a cool concept, but we're all also a little confused in terms of like what that actually means. Could you clarify that? What is a planetary computer? Planetary
1: computer, in our minds... Is a platform, a new kind of computing platform that brings together all of the globally available environmental data and puts that side by side with some of the most advanced machine learning algorithms on a common computing infrastructure that -hmm. allows us to, for the first time, include space and time as first-class data citizens in this information age that we all live in today. It's a platform that is intended to accelerate our ability to monitor, model, and then ultimately manage Earth's natural systems to Mm -hmm. ask questions like where are the world's forests? Where are the world's um, wetlands? How fast are they changing? And hopefully... Um, what are the sorts of benefits that we are gaining from, from those ecosystems? What are the services that those ecosystems provision Mm -hmm. to, to people? And these are really big data challenges.
2: It seems like, yeah, the biggest data outside of like astronomical data, it seems like a huge, a huge amount of information you're talking about here.
1: It's an incredible amount of information. It's. A problem that I believe the modern cloud platform approach to computing is uniquely positioned to help solve. I had the the misfortune of coming up in, in my career right when we were really starting to do large-scale global <laughs> computation, but without the large-scale global computing platforms.
2: Right, right.
1: And... um. You know, it was one of the things that that drew me to Microsoft in the very beginning was just thinking um, when I was running, you know, trying to analyze a planet's worth of satellite imagery to understand if protected areas are actually protecting, for instance. Mm -hmm. And just thinking there has got to be a better way.
2: Because you're just basically just staring at satellite images. Is that like the way of doing things right now? Or is there computer like modeling we were doing already?
1: There's, you know, there's always been people is, you know, there's always been people trying to look down um, from from above to understand, you know, where things are and and what things are where, you know, we've had people working in national labs and more and writing, first of all, going through and, you know, hand uh, annotating these things and then starting to build models. But Our ambitions, just like in so many other things in life, our ambitions keep growing faster than our technology. Um, And so, you know, we were able to do that. And then we said, well, what if we could do that, not just for the county, but for the state and for the country and then for the world and not just for the world once, but for the world every year and not every year, but every day. And we wanted to keep doing all of this. And the computing that's required to crunch through all of those data sets that are coming in is incredible. Because remember, these are interesting types of categories of problems, because oftentimes a question somebody wants to ask is one that is extreme, where the answer is extremely rare, but the data that needs to be um, perused is vast. So, for instance, if you said, find me all of the wildfires happening on Earth right now.
2: In real time. In yeah. real
1: time. There's not that many. Well, I mean, unfortunately, there's, there's too many. But, you know, relative yeah, yeah. to the number of square meters of Earth, there's not that many. But to find them all, you have to look through every square meter of Earth. And that requires, A, data that allows you to extract that information, um, both From the global scale, but also ground truth data that allows you to train an algorithm to learn that and computing processes that are fast enough and scalable enough to spin up to ask that question, but then also to dynamically spin down as soon as you've gotten the answer because you don't want you don't want and you definitely don't need all of that computing resource all the time. Uh And so, as I said, the cloud infrastructure um, kind of paradigm that, that we find ourselves operating in today is perfectly positioned to help answer that. Unfortunately, the world isn't yet perfectly positioned to help answer that. I think, you know, two, two a little over two years ago, um, we started the journey that's led us to this announcement of our intentions to build this planetary computer. And it started with Uh, launching a program called AI for Earth, this five-year, $50 million um, commitment to deploy machine learning in areas like biodiversity, water, agriculture, and climate change. But when we step back kind of at the two-year anniversary of that program and we said, you know, uh, what's going well, what isn't going well, we're quite proud of many of the things that we've achieved, the, the work that we've empowered grantees to do. But it was really clear that we weren't allowing our grantees or anyone else for that matter to build on the work of each other, to take... You know, data that mm-hmm. was contributed by by one organization and machine learning algorithms that were contributed by another, put those two together to create a new service that anybody could use, that anybody right. could access. These were
2: all like isolated pockets of information. I guess like the way the healthcare system works in the US, you have to go to, you have to bring your data from your old doctor to your new doctor or something, right? It,
1: it, that's a fantastic analogy. And it was one of those things, it was a really humbling kind of experience, right? To step mm-hmm. back and do that kind of two-year review because- we're in the tech sector, we're Microsoft. Right. If there's one word that we live and die by, it's scale. So I was very focused on and proud of the fact that each individual grantee was able to use our computing infrastructure to scale their own work. But it was it was humbling to mm-hmm. look back and realize that actually what we were doing wasn't allowing us to scale all of that work all around the world. And that's really where this idea of a new kind of platform came
2: from. Gotcha. And can you talk about, I guess, how you guys are going to go about accomplishing this? Do we have the technology to start building out this idea of a planetary computer? Do we have the processing power, the ways to track this data in real time? Or are you betting on new technologies coming down the line the next five or 10 years to help this out?
1: I think it's a mix of both. The Data that we have coming in every day from satellites around the world, from citizen scientists around the world, from field robotics like camera traps all around the world, we're already capable of doing amazing things with that if we allow it to all come together in a common uh, ecosystem, a common computational ecosystem. Um, It really just requires some significant focusing and prioritization of, of just building out what needs to get done. You know, if you just take that on the ground example, one of the projects that I've been so um, excited about inside Microsoft is a project called Project Premonition that's building new, entirely new field robotics to change the way that we collect Um, biological information, putting robots out into the field that are able to Mm -hmm. listen and chemically smell and do all of these things to characterize the environment, including capturing insects and using real-time machine learning to understand what species those are, the densities that they exist in, and then transmitting that information all the way up to the cloud... All the way to very you know, futuristic, but hopefully not um, too far out into the future, technologies like quantum computing. Because when we think about my, my ultimate question that I try to see us driving towards every day is thinking about what humanity's objective function should be for planet Earth what do we want to achieve with all of our natural resources and how can we do that in a way that optimally derives human benefit from natural resources while minimizing human negative impacts and to do that you are actually talking about the world's largest optimization experiment right right and we don't actually have the computing power for instance if you said Every square meter of land and water on Earth in both X, Y and Z dimensions, right, have some very large but finite number of utility functions, right? There's some sort of value from from timber and from fiber and from crops and for, you know, on and on and on. And then you said, OK, what we want to do is we want to maximize, you know, um, environmental benefits, minimize um, the amount of land that we use, et cetera, et cetera. And you try to optimize for that. That's an extremely large optimization experiment.
2: Can you talk a little more about the idea of what a quantum computer could do for this? Because I feel like a lo- it's still a vague concept for most people, even though I've written about it quite a bit, too. Like, it's it's the idea of having a computer that is taking instructions and, like, processing things one at a time versus a computer that can actually see all this data and have a lot of requests happening all at once. It seems a little more like the way the world actually works, right? Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I think there's been a lot of hype about quantum that it's going to solve all of our problems, right? right? I mean, yeah. I think what we should be thinking about quantum as is one tool in our computing toolbox that is sharper <laughs> than any right. tool that we've ever, you know, <laughs> that we've ever invented. And really, one of the things that it's so perfectly poised to assist with is optimization. And current classical computing requires you to take a step, assess it against a glo- you know, what the ultimate outcome you're trying to achieve, take another step, assess it, and keep doing that. And then mm-hmm. go back to the beginning and start over and do it another way. And then go back to gotcha. the beginning. Quantum can just do it all at once. Which is so hard for our brains, right, I mean the irony yeah. is it's so hard for our brains to understand, <laughs> even though that's what our brains are probably doing at the quantum level at any particular right. time
2: we, we we deal with super states every day, but we don't it's hard to put it into words, I guess or to like rationalize it uh I'm wondering too, like have you guys thought about uh, if this thing actually gets going, especially if you're using you know powerful next generation quantum computers, is this optimization? do you think it could involve things that? Maybe are unpalatable to to humans, like things we haven't thought of before or things that have been arguments before. I'm thinking of like here in New York, we're actually we're losing a nuclear reactor very soon because for a lot of reasons, people think nuclear power is bad. But it's being going to be replaced with probably a gas plant, which is worse. So this sort of machine would be like, hey, maybe don't do that maybe it is better for us to like keep this nuclear around and just make sure it's safe are you guys prepared for those sorts of like maybe hard truths what
1: people aren't very good at and i don't Mm -hmm. mean any particular person i mean the human species what we're not very good at is multi-objective trade-off functions right i like that term yeah Mm -hmm. the, the example that you just gave well Depend, You know, I, I don't like necessarily the terms good and bad. Uh, from a scientific perspective, nothing's good or bad necessarily. They just right. are. But, um, but from a societal perspective, certain things can be good or bad, depending on your belief system. And so, you know, some people would say certain aspects of nuclear are good and certain aspects of nuclear are bad, coal, good or bad. Um, and they're good and bad on different time periods as well. Right, right. And the way that we... Um, approach this at the intersection of governance societal demand and technology is extremely suboptimal right now because we don't necessarily even ever step back and ask what our objective function actually is we just say oh that's bad so we'll do something else and you know and then somebody says but that'll be worse and then we get into this right you know ad nauseum argument the position i would like to get our species into is one that puts us back in the driver's seat of what we are uniquely capable of doing, which Mm -hmm. is using what evolution has provided us from our mental capacity to ask questions about what we want as a society, as an individual, as a society. What do we want? And that... That's your objective function,
2: right? right?
1: Math, we can use math to take that emotion, that human desire, and take that from a, you know an oral narrative or a mental narrative and codify it in a numerical system that can then be integrated with a computational system that, that can tell us how to achieve what we want most optimally and Mm. where we're suboptimally using our resources is trying to figure out how to do it
2: right right and also these emotions and all these things too it seems like we have a lot of data in the world but humans are very bad at that at least just especially seeing what's happening around america these days too it's it's tough
1: Yeah. yeah exactly right and so you you know your particular question is are you prepared for those hard truths I'm prepared for getting to the outcome we want. Right. One of the things that I deal with a lot, just given you know my, my field and the sector I'm in, is you know, concerns around AI and, and you know right. taking away autonomy from people. And I would actually argue it's exactly the opposite, in that we're using our brains and our capabilities suboptimally, because we're spending so much time putting them to work at things that they, you know, they just really aren't that good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we would be significantly better off by by taking that creativity, that ingenuity, that kind of societal discourse that we're, that we're capable of and the governance functions that we put in place and asking those big societal questions and let technology do the hard work, right? I don't ask how my email opens or or, or how it got sent, mm-hmm. right? Like, I just want to understand the content, the objective, the message that I was trying to deliver, the outcome that I was trying to deliver. And I think that is the more that we can think about how technology can lift us up as a species and put us back at kind of on top of the pedestal, I think mm-hmm. the better off we'll be.
2: Love that explanation. Um, I'm just wondering too, for my final question. It seems like Microsoft is doing a lot to kind of further its environmental goals and, you know, kind of just think about its impact on the planet. What responsibility do you think tech companies have towards thinking about these things for the future? Because tech is it's the biggest success, you know, in the world. These are the biggest businesses. Uh, You guys have the most modern tools. How should tech be thinking about these problems in general?
1: You know, a company like Microsoft, we're at a level that really means that, you know, comments like our CEO Satya Nadella made a few weeks ago ring so true when he said, For Microsoft to do well, the world needs to do well. Mm -hmm. The argument about why should we, you know, yeah, it's nice to do nice things, you know, in the private sector, but that's not core to our, you know, to our business. When you're at the level of Microsoft, keeping the world doing well is paramount for you to do well. And so the sustainability work that I lead is perfectly aligned with the profit-driven business that we lead more generally. Uh, and so I don't necessarily you know, see the fact that we have a responsibility like it's some sort of extracurricular sort of thing that it's our responsibility right, right. to be a good corporate citizen. It's our mm-hmm. responsibility to, the, make, to make the world a better place so that Microsoft can have a better place to operate and be a better company.
2: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to following, you know, all of your work and everything you guys are doing. Good luck with this. It sounds like a major initiative. And yeah, it sounds like the sort of thing we actually do need. So my main takeaway from our chat is that it's a a really interesting idea that Microsoft is thinking more broadly than we've heard from a lot of other companies about Mm -hmm. their impact on the world and how they can make the world a better overall place. It's sort of like moral philosophy applied to uh, a giant corporation. You know, let's make the world better. Therefore, our business could be better rather than just making, hey, uh, Amazon wants to make their shipping better. Amazon wants to make certain components of their business better. Right. I find that really interesting. How does this compare to other things you've heard, in?
0: I mean, look, we've heard of a lot of initiatives on similar fronts uh, to this. I think that Microsoft certainly has the, um, you know, Azure is such a huge network and such mm-hmm. a huge product that's so deeply steeped in machine learning and AI that. Microsoft really has the chops to do this. Google is another company that has a lot of AI um, chops and uh, also launched an AI for social good campaign. Mm -hmm. Which sounds like Microsoft's,
2: yeah, that sounds like Microsoft's first, you know, initiative too. Like, it's very similar, but... I haven't heard of anything as expansive as this idea of a planetary computer, but again, it's all kind of out there. So,
0: I think that what you were saying at first is that planetary computer is kind of a misnomer, right? Like, you're Mm -hmm. not talking about one computer that is has the power of the planet or all of the properties of the planet in it it's basically a central database for all the properties and the information that people should know at any given time Mm -hmm. as to their impact on the environment
2: yeah but all in real time all real like the idea of real-time monitoring of the weather and individual things happening all across the planet all at once
0: yeah is pretty wild it's super cool because like i I just want to break it down super simple and Mm -hmm. like The example he gave of, say, a robot going into a farm, picking up an insect and immediately kind of using machine learning to understand the the population density maybe of that insect in that given patch of space. Mm -hmm. And then knowing all the other correlating information about that plot, like the weather patterns, like the nutrients in the soil and how all of that will affect that particular species of insects, like growth rate in that area and in you know historical change in mm-hmm. populations maybe that's just nuts that's like <laughs> the the i mean we're imagining very far ahead in the future so like to have the processing power to be able to like turn out that information in maybe a minute to immediately give you a chart that plots all of that in relation to mm-hmm. all of the other things you want
2: i, w- I wouldn't even incredible. think a minute like they're the vision he's is saying i is mean obviously like, lo- like by, faster yeah by real time i think they mean like yeah real time i know, you know? like i you just that i'm just being cautious instantly. yeah 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 <laughs> but yeah this will certainly like take 5G a lot ain't of... even here yet. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, and we will need 5G and good, like, satellite yeah. uplink and everything for all exactly. this. Exactly. Um, certainly the cost of something like this is uh, is astounding. Like, we talked about kind of do we have the tech for this right now? Um, in certain respects, it sounds like we do. We, we have yeah. the
0: beginnings of it. We have yeah. 5G starting to roll out. I mean, you're not going to get 5G in a farm for another two years or so, right? And then, right, you know, right. uh, SpaceX just launched a bunch of satellites for their I mean, internet satellite Mm -hmm. system so you know good for them um but we're a ways out but yeah okay to your point if we project super far into the future where all the tech is available sure real time i mean that's 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 still fascinating well also
2: and the thing that we don't really talk about that often is quantum computing and how that'll change the way we work and uh this is why i keep bringing up the tv show devs on hulu (laughs) because i I thought it was a really fun exploration (laughs) of quantum computing Uh, But, yeah, we really don't know. Like, what happens right now? We're thinking of computers where, like, oh, I'm looking for this data. Computer, fetch me this data. Mm -hmm. But a quantum computer can work in the way, like, the way we know physics works, which is sort of like uh, interpreting several possibilities all at once. Yeah. Um, it is, there's some like Terminator aspect to what he's saying, like this uh giant, you know, AI powered machine yes. that'll tell us the best way to live. I'm glad I got to ask a question about nuclear uh, in there because uh, that is a problem we're facing in New York and nobody is talking about it, which is <laughs> kind of wild to me. But his yeah, answer yeah.
0: was pretty much what I expected also. Just be like, from the perspective of, of science, nothing is inherently good or bad, but he can mm-hmm. spit you out the possible scenarios if you do shut down or if you yeah. don't shut down this nuclear reactor and then tell you what the outcome is and you decide as the human being, which is <laughs> pretty interesting. Pretty good.
2: But yeah. yeah, what if the machine is like, hey, humans, you're bad. Um, Maybe just uh go away for now. Like, yeah, you, that would be best for the planet. But anyway, let's Anyhow. talk about how this compares to other plans. So you mentioned Google's AI yes. impact challenge. And right. that was, it was very like limited. They were talking about like forecasting yeah. floods and mapping global fishing activity and That's- uh, health. Trends. Well, yeah, yeah.
0: I'll say that that's kind of what Google already is able right. to actively start working on. Like the using AI to forecast floods, like you said, mapping global fishing activity, predicting mm-hmm. cardiac arrest, all the typical stuff that we've seen a lot of scientists put AI to work on. Um, but the AI impact challenge is uh, a little bit different. It's where Google sources um, ideas from around the world, and they got actually about 2,600 proposals in 2018 um, from all. Like six continents and stuff like that mm-hmm. and the the results from that that uh, I mean the report that I read that Google published about their findings there was that yeah there's a lot of people really earnestly looking into this, but AI might not be the answer to everything is mm-hmm. one of the findings and that a lot of companies while they want to use AI for responsibility they don't really know how to and I think that that's a big question I think that that's what this planetary computer idea is a good first right, step right. towards. I'm still a little nervous about the idea of a central <laughs> computer having all the data about the world.
2: You know, but... yeah. <laughs> we kind of, we we need more information. It is astounding, like, the we little do. information we have about certain things. How little we know about, like, the deep sea. You know, I, I feel like having more data would help us better understand how we're, you know... Affecting and, the uh the planet. And I think that would be an important thing eventually. I'm a yeah.
0: little curious too, or 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 maybe I wanna maybe get them to clarify mm-hmm. is that this is all about the earth. It's not about your financial data. It's not about <laughs> centralizing what you know the federal government already knows about you. This is centralizing information about the environment, ecological yeah. impact and stuff like that. So not I mean because I started thinking that way. I was like why doesn't why isn't there a central mm-hmm. banking system? Why isn't there like I don't know. Well,
2: right. I started thinking in terms of like uh, spy stuff because yeah. we started aerial photography because war, you know, because we needed right. intelligence Spying, from our yeah. enemies. Um, right. so that's also what pushed satellites out there and that was like right. the, the the great thrust of the Cold War. So I do wonder how something like this could be abused, like like any technology we talk about. I think some yeah. of it could be really cool, really innovative. How can it be abused by bad Definitely. actors and certainly oh. by governments who could push Microsoft to do things with this data that, uh, you know, Hey, the US the US wants to be the only one who knows specific, you know, mining data or something
0: like that. Yeah, and um, it really can't be Microsoft that owns all of this data. I think that it needs to be opened up to like yeah. everyone to use. Amazon, I mean we're, we're, Google should be able to yeah. use that information, use their AI to run an I mean, API and something.
2: They yeah. own GitHub now. Like this would yeah. be this could be and should be like the world's biggest open source project.
0: It ever. should. Like all it of
2: humanity should. coming together to use this data, yeah, for better. So, let me let me bring up a couple of companies here amazon Mm -hmm. i think is an example of one of those uh companies that really is talking about how they can make their own business better so Mm -hmm. they have said me yeah all about me which is it's fine because they have a huge environmental impact uh they said aws uh surpassed 50 percent renewable energy in 2018 which is pretty huge okay they launched yeah. yeah three new wind farms last year they have some solar farms already um i think this is something that is worth noting Running these data centers as bad as they can be, um because we mm-hmm. know a lot of these data centers can be uh, huge, huge like they're already huge power sinks yeah, um, yep. they represent a major chunk of the power we use uh yep. globally, yeah, but having these things is much more efficient than a company running its own servers and managing yeah. its own equipment because you're only really using what you need and right. yeah as a former IT guy who had to like dive into servers and deal with like a lot of wiring and stuff and watch machines sit idle because yeah. it wasn't being used enough like I, this is a yeah. better outcome than where we were before but because we rely so much on computing it's it's gonna take up a lot of power that's kind of how it goes so mm-hmm. let me just drop a couple other numbers here for you. Amazon says that they're aiming for 100% renewables by 2030, 80% mm-hmm. by 2024. They estimated they reached 40% last year. This is for the entire company. Uh, so that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're aiming for 50% shipment net zero carbon by 2030. So I think some of that's going to be involving like carbon offsets and other things. But still a big deal, although their shipment keeps growing, too. So it's like their impact will continue to grow over time. Yeah. Uh, They did announce a $100 million climate fund to restore Mm -hmm. environments, which is sort of like you look at at Amazon's business and how much money they have.
0: Right.
2: $100 million to help in general is not – it's not really much. I don't want to sound ungrateful here, but I'm just saying in the grand scale of things, like how much Amazon does, how little – Taxes they pay to the U.S. It feels like one of those things that companies do just for the credit of seeming kind-hearted, right? Uh, but yeah, yeah, tough to say. And Facebook, by the way, has said they're committed to reducing their greenhouse gas footprint by seventy-five percent and reaching one hundred percent renewable energy in twenty twenty. So that's a pretty,
0: you know, that's, that's happening this right year. now. <laughs> yeah,
2: but that's their aim. We don't know how far along. You know, they've actually come.
0: This week, Google also announced that it will be, uh, on its data centers, it will be relegating the less urgent tasks to mm-hmm. times of day when wind and solar energy are more available. So oh, that's only, smart. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. only crucial tasks like processing maps requests that happen all the time and people really need the directions in real time, those sorts of things are happening uh any time of day and on all, whatever energy they can get at that time but less important tasks like photos processing or like face recognition in your photos those things will be only taking place in mm-hmm. at the data centers um when they have abundance of wind energy for example so i think that that's a good thing data centers like we said really really suck up a shit ton of energy yeah when i say shit yes.
2: <laughs> yes you can because it's a shit ton <laughs>
0: It you know what shit is a source of energy let's <laughs> let's just put that out there, but uh
2: yeah, in many countries, yes,
0: it is in many <laughs> it that is a good i think um move on Google's part. We learned um that the infotech industry c- consume about twenty percent of all electricity generated and Uh, It gives out 5.5% of the world's carbon by 2025. So that's a a report uh, published in The Guardian. Of
2: just data centers, which is astounding. And
0: there is about uh, roughly 8 million data centers worldwide, according to an IDC count. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the power used by data centers right now apparently doubles every four years. So, wow. Wow, wow, wow. I,
2: I do feel like things like the whole digital currency rush... Mm-hmm. That stuff involved so God. much power. The Bitcoin for, mining, you mean? Yeah, yeah holy Bitcoin crap. mining, all that, but it involves so much power for yeah. for nothing. For yeah. like you know, fake digital for, money. Exactly. That, you know, some people could really bank on rather than cash. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain about that too much, but I just think the resources involved are bad. So, I if we were actually spending that data center. You know, energy on things we actually need, and something yeah. like the idea of a planetary computer. I think that yeah. would be a lot more palatable. Yeah,
0: right. And I was going to say that, like, it's it's you know what we were saying about the planetary computer. That's going to drain a lot of energy because that quantum computing that needs mm-hmm. to happen to deliver results in real time. Is well, we going don't to know, we don't know if it'll energy. be quantum
2: computing, but yeah, quantum. If we do get an effective quantum computer, because right, right now we're building these giant complex things that can't really process that much. It's just yeah. like theoretical quantum computing processing. Uh, we've written stuff about that. Go look mm-hmm. at like the rise, like how uh, how quantum computers are racing, like qubits, mm-hmm. the amount of like quantum processing they can do. It's all it's a very slow and steady race right now. But yeah, if we ever get to that point, it'll be. Just like the incredible TV show devs, where you will just have this giant. You just like, like that show because it's computer. like part of
0: your name. Stop it.
2: Uh, <laughs> no, Sherlyn, that would be your thing. Devs that more would, like
0: Devendra. That
2: would be your thing, but you should also watch that show, Sherlyn. i been watching it. It'll blow you away. I've yeah. been
0: watching it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I mean. Look, it's no
2: the, uh the insert bad trillion TV show. Here.
0: Wow, wow! It's no <laughs> The Strain. Um, yeah, it's
2: no The Strain. God. The okay.
0: the the yeah the planetary computer thing. I think that yes, there's a potential for it to to run up a lot of energy consumption. But on the flip side, we could also use the data we get to yeah. figure out how to optimize our energy consumption uh, and and make it all cleaner and greener. Uh, I will say you mentioned earlier uh, that you, you know, used to be an IT mm-hmm. um, worker. I I don't know what your title was. <laughs> Administrator. Okay. okay and looked no, at, you looked but at servers. Okay. okay. <laughs> but uh, my old job was to work on, uh, I worked in oil and gas, honestly, mm-hmm. as a marketing executive. And this was way back in Singapore in like mid 2000s and we were pivoting to green energy. We were pivoting the same equipment that could be used for making a jack up rig is the same equipment you would use to build a wind turbine. So, mm-hmm. it makes sense across the board. Yeah. It just makes sense to switch to green energy. It, it makes like sense. Yeah.
2: We are nice still waiting for good battery tech to really make that accurate. Good, yeah. That's a whole other episode of like where where are the good batteries? What is happening with batteries? It yeah. is. That's really our future. Uh but yeah. Anyway, any 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 further thoughts, Sherlyn? Any further fears? Like, uh, I do wonder what it'll be like when we do have a planet-wide, you know database that's powered by microsoft in basically it sounds like science fiction it sounds like (laughs) science fiction i
0: just i think this is a good idea in theory i think Mm -hmm. i was about to shout out and say that we need good regulation then when we're gonna do this stuff but i also don't know that i trust regulation to come through well yet Mm -hmm. um there's not enough people knowledgeable about this stuff in politics to to really come up with a good way to manage all of this
2: i mean yeah we definitely don't know all of this stuff is a leap of faith. Um, Mm. I would much rather have more leaps of faith like this, of companies trying to do more good in the world, um, just trying to be a little more, uh, I don't know, sensitive about their impact and how they coexist with everybody else. And that's something I think Microsoft has done really well since Satya Nadella came on as CEO. He's really Mm. transformed that company. I've written about it quite a bit in Gadget 2. Like, they're focused on Windows. They're focusing more on, like, Things users actually want rather Mm -hmm. than forcing technologies and things that Microsoft wants you to have. So I think it's a big shift for the company overall. I hope this whole thing works out and I hope other companies look at this and be like, hmm, maybe either we could help or we could do something that's on the same level. I want some competition here. I think that would be better for the planet as a whole.
0: I want an Avengers of the tech companies. I want (laughs) Google, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft all to work together to make this happen.
2: Good luck with that. But (laughs) yes, that would be interesting to see. Let's move on to what we're working on. I have yet another gaming (laughs) laptop. They just never end. It's basically gaming laptop season because Intel and NVIDIA and AMD, they've all made big news recently with their chips. So I'm looking at MSI's new GS66. Uh, stealth. This is a sort of the sequel to the GS65 Stealth Thin I reviewed about two years ago. It is super thin, pretty light for a 15 inch machine. But what's really impressive, it has a ton of power, has an RTX 2070 GPU, and it has a 300 hertz screen. Oh,
0: wow. 300 crap. hertz.
2: We're talking about wow, 90 hertz phones. Nuts. 120 we've hertz seen, we've seen yeah. we've seen 144
0: hertz on laptops too yeah so yeah well is 144 twice that.
2: that was like the main gaming thing like yeah. several years ago then they jumped to 200 240
0: yeah and oh, yeah, 240, now we've
2: reached uh 300 hertz which is overkill nuts. certainly like your eyes won't see it but all that means is that your gameplay as you get closer to 300 fps uh, so you wouldn't be doing that in maybe a really modern game like Destiny 2 uh, and this hardware, but maybe something like Overwatch or CSGO, mm. uh, competitive games. Um, y- It will just look a lot smoother. It has pretty much everything you want. It looks and feels great. Based on my testing so far, that Asus Zephyrus G14 I reviewed a couple of weeks ago is still, like, the killer deal of gaming mm. right now because that processor is so good and the GPU is so good and the price. Like, you could get... A sick machine for around fourteen hundred bucks. Um, I I'm still like that's the one I'd recommend to most people. But if you're looking for something a little more polished, this I I love MSI's machines in general. Um, this one is as slick and powerful and a little more higher quality than that aces So it's something to look out for. My review should be going up next week, so keep an eye out for that. Shirlin, what's up uh, with you?
0: I, first of all, can't wait for that MSI machine to crap out 20 minutes into your game because it's running at 300 hertz. But uh, <laughs> we will see your battery life uh, test results. This but is anyhow. not a battery
2: life machine. That Asus no. is a good battery life machine.
0: But <laughs> not this. Yeah. Um, I've been, so that VR exercise app that I've been talking up for two weeks now it's finally alive Uh, my story is up it's called Supernatural and with a name like that you would think it's got ghosts but it doesn't unfortunately and disappointingly Uh, it's actually called Supernatural because basically it's set in these really gorgeous environments Have have you played Beat Saber Dev? you probably have oh
2: yeah Beat
0: Saber, Beat Saber is this like uh, DDR ish game except for it's in VR using the Oculus controllers as lightsaber ish sticks where you whack things away in you know according to the instructions flying at you, and this is very similar. Supernatural is a workout app. You are supposed to smash these balls that are flying at you um, with the corresponding stick and blast them into smithereens. And then when a triangle flies towards you, uh, you have to squat to fit in that triangle. Um, so what ended up happening is that I was, you know, you had to whack it with a certain amount of force for it to actually like yeah, smash yeah. Or it would just bounce away. Um, so it's a workout. It's a full workout. My It's a whole body workout. You're slowly turning around in space to How kind of get a- How
2: sweaty are you getting in that VR headset? Dude. I get sweaty in VR headsets just by wearing them, even without the workout.
0: They had to send like 20 disinfecting wipes <laughs> along with it as with the uh... Oculus Quest they loaned me, as well as a sweat mask. They sent yeah. a sweat mask. So, well, yeah. And... You
2: need a sweat mask, yeah.
0: You also saw. You, I think Dev, you might have seen me appear right after a VR workout on a call, <laughs> where my face was like fully red and there yeah. were marks on my face from all of that abrasion. But it's a workout, man. Like honestly, the headline of my piece is a VR workout uh, app killed my quads. I saw. Quads. I saw. Yeah. Good lord, my I tried that out on Monday, Tuesday I just couldn't walk. Wednesday I couldn't <laughs> squat, and today is Thursday and my I still can't use my legs. Like this is That's bad. Cool.
2: That's cool. Um, It sounds cool. The only thing is like the the price of VR entry, is it comfortable for you to do this stuff for a very long time? Yeah. It
0: is comfortable when I do just a fifteen minute workout and all Uh of my workouts are about that long. But I will say that like you you need the quest. It doesn't work on any other headset right now. But Mm. fair enough. And uh, because it has to
2: be wireless, you have to move, yeah. Right. Exactly.
0: And so it's a six hundred dollar headset plus after a thirty day trial that's free, you need to pay twenty dollars a month to use this thing. So it's i wouldn't because do i don't have the oculus quest just yeah. you know and it, that's like a peloton level
2: subscription Pelotons like 40
0: dollars a month but still yeah you
2: know, yeah it's, it's but it's one lot. of those things where you have this hardware you buy the software right it's also yeah. software you have to buy yeah uh and then the monthly fee um you know, well no no no, no. the
0: app itself is free and then okay. you you pay the monthly subscription for the workouts um okay. I just think that – I mean, again, go read go read the article for My Deep Impressions for mm-hmm. All My Pain. Um, I'm still working on a bunch of other reviews that I can't really talk about, but it is reviews to s- uh, season. Uh, I'm reviewing things ranging from laptops to phones to maybe wearables. I can't tell you all until next time. So mm-hmm. stay tuned. We're just working hard here.
2: <laughs> Very cool. I hope you can get access to a Ring Fit eventually and see how that maybe. works in your Switch because I feel like that is – That, to me, is the best example of uh, balancing, you know, virtual interactivity and not having to wear a freaking mask on your face while you're sweating.
0: I took a video of myself working out and I look ridiculous. (laughs) If y'all send us a nice review or a nice email, I might send you a a screenshot from that video. (laughs) (laughs)
2: All right, let's move on to our picks. My pick for this week is uh, Cursed Films on shutter It's a new series oh. that is all about um horror movies that may and other movies but also movies in general that have maybe a curse attached to them. And I'm thinking of like um the Lee family curse and what that meant for The Crow. Uh, I'm thinking uh. of yeah, what that what happened in the Twilight Zone movie which is heartbreaking and depressing um there's curses attached to poltergeist it's using mm-hmm. curse in a very broad way um but really it's a way to explore these movies this like quote unquote cursed impact uh the impact of their curses and kind mm-hmm. of how interesting that is and looking at their the impact of these movies over time it's all really interesting poltergeist had it quite a bit because course, yeah. there's the whole thing about them using you know real skeletons in yep. the in the pool sequence, which they give it a good reason for why that would be the case because it's easier to have a real, you know, a lone medical skeleton or something than, like, to build your own yeah. um, but things like that uh, I find it really interesting. I like Shudder in general. I just started subscribing to Shudder. I love horror movies um, They have a good selection and some good original stuff, too, so it's probably a service I'll stick with for a while but mm-hmm. this is a show... I really enjoy seeing it. Also, it's funny because I know you know some of the people who are being interviewed on it, so it's always fun to see people I've talked to on my podcast uh, on my TV. So weird. <laughs> so weird. But Charlene, what is up with you?
0: So I'm going to run really quickly through what I've been doing and then go into my recommendation. I have been watching... The Strain, but it's getting crap in the second season, so I'm not getting oh, into it. Is it yeah. getting crap? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty crap. And then the <laughs> the I've been then also on in tandem watching Penny Dreadful uh, on Netflix, which is- That's a know, good show. It's really good. That yeah. is a good
2: show. I know. Charlotte. Aren't
0: you proud of me? I, I really I like am. it.
2: I am. I'm <laughs> my hat to you. Thank um, you. I do. I, I remember I fell off in like season two where things yeah. got a little wonky. But I think the first season of Penny Dreadful with like yeah. Eva Green, and I love it. She is amazing. But also She's like great. it has such great twists on like the yeah. mon- the original monster formula. Like I love the way they handle Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, it is yeah. astounding. Well, There's that's because really also like
0: there. I recently rewatched League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because it was on. There Hulu we go.
2: And, there and- we go. That's what I was waiting for,
0: but but it was it was it, this is basically that, but uh-huh. you know more better thought out. Um, and <laughs> yes, it
2: is. Yeah, yes. it is.
0: And it's a TV show. So <laughs> so anyhow, I've been watching these two, and I've been playing a little bit more of League of Legends. I used to play way back when, and uh, recently because I've been testing a laptop, I just decided, heck, I'll run a League of Legends test, and uh, I just got sucked in, and I've been getting really good, and so you'll you'll you might see me playing this soon.
2: Yeah, how good? It
0: means I've been, uh, good meaning I've been like level 18, 21. I, I penta killed. all right? Like, let's just say I aced an entire enemy team. Let's just do that. And I don't I know mean, what any of this
2: means. What I'm, league are you in? I'm in, a, I'm, in a, yeah, yeah. I'm in a
0: beginner league. I'm not in any leagues. I'm still playing bots.
2: <laughs>
0: beginner bots. So that's how good I am. Anyhow, but my actual film recommendations, because mm-hmm. let's continue in the thread of Asian horror that I've been trying to do. I'd like to recommend rule number 1. Uh I don't know if you've heard of it Dev. No, it's a I have not. Hong Kong film. Um it you it's really intriguing. It features a lot of big name stars. We've got Ekin Cheng, um and Sean Yue. These are like mm-hmm. big names out of Hong Kong and uh, a Singaporean actress has a bit part in it. And it's about these uh this sort of like this department of the police uh in hong kong where they investigate just the su- supernatural cases and but there is a rule that you can't let a haunted person touch you or <laughs> okay something happens and so Mm. it it kind of like just that's that's why the title is rule number one but i like the storytelling in it i forget who directs it i'm sorry but uh i like it a lot it's if you can find it i'm pretty sure it's on something somewhere um (laughs) if you're sick of horror film recommendations though i have another film recommendation really quick it's called in chinese it's called feng sheng um the english title is the message and it's a chinese film it's out of china um about around the second world war where a group of Chinese uh, nationals have been rounded up into this house because Mm -hmm. they're suspected of being rebellions against the Japanese regime. They're all like working for the Japanese, like, in place government but they're suspected of feeding army uh, information to the chinese rebellion and they're trying to find out who the spy is so it's kind of like clue Mm -hmm. but you're finding the spy and it gets a little gory at parts because the torture (laughs) scenes are pretty bad but the mystery and the way it unfolds and the way the story is told is just so interesting it grabs you from the beginning it's just wild i love it i loved it so (laughs) if you don't want horror go for some torture porn you know
2: Wow. Your tastes are very, <laughs>
0: very weird. Profile. You can tell where my head's at. <laughs> and that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at...
2: At Devendra on Twitter. And find me talking about better movies at the slash filmcast at slash film.com. Ugh.
0: Well, if you want to recommend me some upbeat, positive movies that I will never watch, I'm at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us at podcastingedda.com, leave us a review on iTunes, and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify.